We just listened to the gospel of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. It's an amazing gospel, a powerful gospel that shows the presence of the Lord who comes to rescue these two disciples that are leaving Jerusalem. Pope Francis refers to this text as the key to interpreting the present and the future of the church. And Pope Benedict refers to this text as the story of every human being. In this meditation, I'd like to propose two points. The first one is a theological, kind of exegetical interpretation of this text. And the second point is just a contemplation to help us walk alongside Jesus and these two disciples. So first of all, to understand the theology behind this text, it's important to consider who are these two people that are walking away from Jerusalem. Traditionally, we might have thought that there were two men. That's the way it's sometimes presented in art. Two men walking away from Jerusalem. We know that one of them is Clopas or Cleopas, and the other one, it's interesting, the only other time that the name Cleopas appears in the Gospels, it's in the Gospel of John, and it actually refers to Mary, the the wife of Cleopas. And so, many Gospel uh, scripture scholars actually think that the two people that are walking away from Jerusalem are not two of our Lord's disciples or two of the 72, but are actually a couple, a husband and a wife who were following the Lord and are now walking away. It's also interesting to uh, think of where they're going. They're going to a town called Emmaus. Emmaus in Hebrew actually means ama os, which means a people dejected. So a couple is going to a place called a people dejected. And finally, it's important to think of where it is that they're leaving from. So they're leaving from Jerusalem and the heart of Jerusalem is the temple. The temple was adorned to look like a new Eden. There were motifs of animals and wildlife and plant life. And so it's a couple leaving the representation of Eden going to a people dejected. And so you can see that it's theologically, it's an echo of another story. The story of Adam and Eve leaving the garden and the beginning of the history of fallen humanity. In a certain sense, that chapter is repeating itself, except this time in the New Testament, On the day of the resurrection, the Lord comes and intercepts their path and he convinces them to come back and to come back to the community of the church, to come back to the new Jerusalem. That's why this gospel is the story of every human being because it's the story of the way in which Christ comes and intercepts our path to bring us back to the fold, to bring us back to himself. We can also look at this passage and just take it step by step, accompanying these two disciples as they're walking away from Jerusalem and discovering the way in which Christ comes to meet them. First of all, it's interesting to see that they're arguing. And the Greek word for arguing is actually, they're throwing words at one another. And we can wonder, what is it that they're arguing about? They're probably not just arguing about the things that have happened and how it turned out. They're probably remembering their whole story the first moment in which they decided to leave everything and follow this Jesus of Nazareth, this great prophet, perhaps this itinerant preacher. And it seems like now they've lost everything. They're probably arguing with one another and repeating to each other, it was a bad idea to follow Jesus. Isn't that a feeling that we can sometimes have as well? After having perhaps left something to follow him, left everything to follow him, And it seems like everything turned out to be a failure. Everything turned out to be a hoax. 
it was a bad idea to follow this Jesus. Some people refer to this, I heard it one time referred to as post-traumatic church syndrome, where we've experienced perhaps, and perhaps something that we've seen in these recent years. We've all known about the sadness of the church scandals, or perhaps it's just the difficulty we've experienced in our own communities, in our own, among our own friends, in our own churches, in our own parishes. Post-traumatic church syndrome, and that idea was a bad idea to, le- to leave everything to follow Jesus. Perhaps they were blaming each other. I like to think, you know, one was saying, well, it was your father that convinced me, or, you know, it was your mother was the one that said she'd take care of the kids. Either way, now they're arguing with each other and regretting the decision that they made to follow the Lord. It's interesting as well as we look at them to realize that they know all the right things that happened. They know that the Lord was a great prophet. They know that he had predicted his resurrection. They know the details of his death. They know that the tomb is empty. It sounds like they've spoken to the women that went, and they've also spoken to the apostles that went and found everything just as the women had said. They know all the right data. And yet, we know that it's not enough to know all the right concepts. It's not enough to know the scriptures or to know the Bible or to know theology. Him they have not seen. We need a personal experience of the Lord. A good friend of mine is kind of on his way to the faith, if you can keep him in your prayers. And he's extremely smart. He's read so many things. He's read many, many books of apologetics. He knows so much. And I said, well, now you're just lacking the next step, which is to open your heart and pray. And he's terrified by that. He doesn't want to actually take that step. It's not enough to know. We need to open our hearts to pray, to be able to experience the Lord. A third kind of step in following Jesus is to observe the way in which he comes to walk alongside the disciples. And perhaps I think this is why Pope Francis thinks that this is the, the key to interpreting the present and the future of the church. The way in which Christ comes to bring back these two disciples that are leaving. He appears to them uh, actually kind of just walking alongside them. He doesn't come in his glory. He doesn't come uh, preaching truth, telling them to stop. He actually just comes and he starts to walk alongside them. He listens to them. What an important lesson for us who want to bring Christ to others that uh, our Lord himself starts with listening. The Lord who has all the answers, who is truth himself, he starts by listening and he walks together with them. It's interesting as well that he walks with them away from Jerusalem and into the night. What a powerful symbol of walking alongside our brothers and sisters who perhaps are experiencing some difficulty, some confusion, some suffering, some addiction, some sin. But our Lord comes and He walks with them, even in the opposite direction to which He eventually wants to bring them. Our Lord is patient. He's patient with us. He's patient with you and He's been patient with me. Our Lord walks alongside them to accompany them. Bishop Robert Barron, when commenting this scripture, he says, how important it is for the church to be able to listen and to walk together with the people that perhaps don't know the Lord or are struggling to know the Lord. He also says it's so important to offer what he calls the full Emmaus. As we're going to see, the Lord walks with them away from Jerusalem, but of course they end up coming back to Jerusalem after having experienced him. 
I also like to think in this passage of the way in which our Lord opened their minds. They knew all the right points, and yet there's something that our Lord said that allowed them to all of a sudden have that moment of eureka. What did our Lord do to give them that experience? The way I like to think about it is they have all the points, but they need someone to connect the dots. They have, they know what he did, they know what happened, they know that he's missing. How does our Lord connect the dots for them? He starts off by saying, did not this Messiah have to suffer and so enter into his glory? He explained to them the Paschal mystery and he showed them how his death and resurrection, well, his passion, death and resurrection, is that kind of code that helps to connect all the dots that they already know. And at that moment, their minds are opened and they discover his presence. Well, they discover it burning in their hearts. They haven't yet seen him. I think the same is true for us. We too know the dots in our own life. We know the things that have happened. Perhaps we remember the moment that we first decided to follow the Lord. Perhaps we remember, you know, the moment that we first fell in love, all these great things that happened in our lives. We also know the dots of the suffering in our lives. Perhaps the loss of a, someone that we love. Perhaps a difficult moment growing up. Perhaps something that's very recent. We know those points in our life. And sometimes they can seem disconnected until the Lord comes and He shows us. He offers us the possibility of putting those points into the mystery of His passion, death, and resurrection. And when he does, the points in our life are connected. A good friend of mine lost a lot of his savings in 2008. And it seemed like a real death for him, a real passion and death. And it was. But it was only because of that that he began to appreciate his own family. And so looking back at it now, 11, 12 years later, he says, you know, that was the hardest thing that ever happened to me and the best thing that ever happened to me. He was able to see, he sees his life from the perspective of our Lord's passion, death, and resurrection as a Christian. A good friend of mine as well, he, de he developed cancer. And he said something that really moved me. He said, you know, I was always trying to build a bridge toward God. And I was never able to do that. And now with his cancer, I discovered that it was the bridge that he was building towards me. And it changed his heart, it changed his life, it changed his marriage. and gave him that opportunity to discover our Lord's presence in his own passion, his own suffering, to discover the power of the resurrection. Perhaps some of us are struggling with this new pandemic, this COVID, this experience of uncertainty regarding our jobs, uncertainty regarding the health of the people that we love, uncertainty regarding our own health. Perhaps it's been a moment of cabin fever of staying perhaps uh, within four walls, not being able to go out. And yet our Lord wants to show us how this event, this suffering that we're all experiencing, is also called to be inserted into the mystery of our Lord's resurrection, His passion, death, and resurrection. And to draw from this event something that can become a source of new life for us, a source of the living presence of God in us. A fifth step is that our Lord pretends to go. And I love it. I think there's something just irreducibly comical 
of our Lord pretending to go on so that he gets invited back. You know, it's like when we want to be invited to a party and, uh, you know, maybe we bring it up, uh, we, we wait to see a response, we try, to, we try to get invited somehow, you know, maybe we downplay it. But our Lord, he gets invited into their house. What a powerful idea for us as well that our Lord desires to be with us. Before the Last Supper, he told the apostles, with great yearning, I have been looking forward to this moment to share this meal with you. Our Lord wants to come and share this moment with us. He wants to live in our homes. He wants to be present in the midst of our COVID isolation, in the midst of our lives and the future as well. He wants to be present in our hearts. To think of this, the God who created everything, the God who died for us, for me and for you, He desires to be present with us. The burning zeal, the burning fire, the love with which God created the world, with that very same love, He wants to be present in our lives. We can also look at what He does when He finally meets them. In the, when he, sorry, when He finally goes into their, into their room, I imagine it kind of a, a little inn where they invited the Lord and He was there at a table, maybe just the three of them together. And at that moment, He broke bread and they recognize His presence. I think this time of isolation has hopefully helped us all to develop a greater hunger for the Eucharist, a greater thirst for the Eucharist. It's there that we discover Him. Our Lord is waiting patiently and with such humility, with such tenderness. He's waiting for us to go and visit Him so that He can become once again our, the bread of life, the bread of our life. And it's there that they recognize Him. Sometimes we have a hard time finding the Lord. Where is He? And yet it's at Mass, it's in the Eucharist, where we will unfailingly find Him. And then the final step that happens is, after the Lord reveals the Eucharist to, him, to, to them, they immediately, at night, they get up and they say, we have to go back to the community of the believers. Is that zeal. The Lord lives. Love lives. Love is alive. Grace is more powerful than death. This message needs to be known. We need to go tell the others why before anyone else leaves Jerusalem. We have to hurry back. They could have waited till the morning. It would have been safer. It would have been more prudent. But they do the imprudent thing in order to preach the message of the Lord's resurrection. What an example. What a confirmation of, of our faith to see these two disciples running back we're an example of the love of that early Christian community that we are called to also make present in our church, in our families, in our communities as well. The story of the disciples on the way to Emmaus is the story of two people who had become discouraged and are leaving Jerusalem only to have the resurrected Christ intercept their path and bring them back. A priest friend of mine said, you know, he could have just let them walk away but he didn't. And the Lord won't let us walk away either. I love seeing the Lord pulling at the strings of our heart, the strings of every single heart. He wants to intercept us. He wants to bring us back. May the Lord continue to bless us, to bless our families, to bless you today on the Sunday of the resurrection. May Our Lady also be for us that witness of the resurrection. St. Augustine says that the morning of the resurrection, 
the Gospels don't tell us that Jesus appeared to Mary because it was so obvious. We know that the Blessed Mother treasures in her heart that experience, that moment, the faith of the Church. Let's pray that she may continue to strengthen our faith, to give us the joy of the resurrection so that we can live the resurrected life in our own hearts, in our families, and transmit this resurrected life to the rest of the world. God bless you.